welcome to another episode of James Bond Jr. and Friends. Our third dip into the uh, largely untapped joys of 1991 cartoons. Um, this week we will be watching episode five and six, which is Plunder Down Under and A Chilling Affair. And we will be joined by Bill, Calvin, Sean, Phil, and Lisa. Would you like to introduce yourself, folks? Uh, hi, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command. I'm Calvin Dyson, and I run a YouTube channel under that name. And tonight I am drinking my uh, dependable, faithful Jack Daniels and Coke Zero. Mm. Uh, I'm Sean Longmore, and I'm a graphic designer and artist who sometimes does James Bond art. And tonight I'm drinking a, a, a Vimto, but because I'm a James Bond fan, I've got it mixed with 7-Up. <laughs> nice. This is Phil Nivea Jr., editor of Fangoria. Uh, I'm not drinking because it's 2 in the afternoon where I'm at. And it's because we're watching a kid's show. It feels weird to be like getting sauced during a kid's show. Though. That's like most parent, most parents in this pandemic. Film. <laughs> oh, God, the Lion King again. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> and I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm a professor, award-winning author, and podcaster who specializes in gender in James Bond and other action films. So um, we we will be starting with episode five, Plunder Down Under, which uh, has a very special villain, right, Lisa? Yes, it has Walker Duplank, and my <laughs> dog has not woken up yet. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So we interviewed, so the writer of this episode was Perry Martin, and we interviewed him a few years ago for the magazine, and he said the reason he picked um, the villain to do this episode because none of the other writers wanted to write for Walker to Plank. <laughs> <laughs> Why? It's so, so good. His original script had a different ending, which we'll get onto after we watch it. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Drama. Yeah. So you not only, you learn some stuff with this podcast, right? YouTube links in the description below, folks. Everybody got it open? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You should be seeing a seagull. Yeah. At the beginning. In three... Two, one, play. And it's the traditional cold open pre-title sequence. Tomorrow Never Dies flavor. Yeah. Mm. Or Spy Who Loved Me. Uh. Bill already approves. (laughs) (laughs) Ten seconds in. Actually, I I actually watched about the first... No, 15 minutes of this before we started recording. Um, I was actually thinking about the music on this episode and the preceding ones, and it's okay. I mean, I don't expect John Barry for James Bond Jr., but um, it's kind of meh, like <laughs> synth- synthesizer music, I guess, whereupon cartoons, as with live action, are greatly enlivened when you have good music. I mean, it's not bad, but it's just kind of eh. Um, I mean, I have a couple of uh, CDs of, of uh, cartoon soundtrack music, and uh, this isn't quite up to the the right. standards of the two CDs I got. It's according to the era, right? The, the Warner Brothers Looney Tune. You're getting a full orchestra, and by the time you're getting to this stuff, it's it's a very you know talented young man with a synthesizer. <laughs> right. Well, but again, I'm I, and I'm sorry to keep bringing up this example, but again, it was just one year after this, you know, with Batman the animated series, it had 
I don't know how many pieces of orchestra it had. It might have been six, but oh, sure. it's, it's, still but had a it's giant like studio behind it. Still it's Warner considerably better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, know, whereas the, this the, was this was clearly Michael G. Wilson's hobby project. Yeah, uh, <laughs> getting got those. Yeah, they got that level of resources. I think. I mean, the composer for the Batman cartoon show was named Shirley, Shirley Walker, Walker, and you know, she, granted, she had the Danny Elfman theme from the movies, first two movies to play with, but yeah, it's it's considerably better than this. And of course, so James Bond is on another school trip this time to Greece. The budget of this school. (laughs) Speaking of music, I just don't know which one of you who was lightly singing under your breath the James Bond theme song, but I wanted to tell you that I heard you (laughs) talking about music. It was not me, I can tell you that. (laughs) That was Sean. At first I was like, I just had this on mute. What's going on? Yeah. Okay. James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, so I have noise, noise cancelling headphones on. So I thought I didn't think I was saying anything. I thought I was just laughing <laughs> along with it. It was amazing. Uh, and meanwhile, um, the lighter kid is not really impressed me, pressing me any more than he has in <laughs> four previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Walks into a pillar oh, while he's playing his video game. Ah. How come the other guys get like really new, exciting NPL style outfits and Gordo Lighter just has to have the same one? (laughs) Well, speaking of outfits, everybody has some sort of adjustment except for like the teacher dude. Like he's the only one who wears the same costuming. And I, it was something I was thinking about a lot. Like everybody has a sort of a riff or a variation of their, their sort of their typical style. And I'm just wondering maybe for budget reasons, why yeah. he doesn't. But it reminds me of conversations I've had about um, Quarrel in Dr. No not having a costume change and what some of the the potential reasons behind it and a couple of the problematic reasons behind it as well. Um, but I find it interesting that there is no costume change for him. In, mm. in Dr. No, they had, a, they had a deleted scene where Quarrel goes home, he opens up his closet door and there's just <laughs> nothing but red T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like Mark Zuckerberg, he has the same outfit. Really. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's how I imagine Calvin's wardrobe is with just t-shirts and bow ties. <laughs> oh, here we go. This is why I wanted David on this week because check out the scuba gear. Mm. <laughs> can we just can we just appreciate the fact that her uncle is lost at sea and James right. Bond wants to take her scuba diving to distract <laughs> <Yeah>. her? <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, and, and at least IQ has a different outfit this episode. He's been mm-hmm. wearing his lab coat for four straight episodes. Now he's got a Hawaiian shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for some reason, they felt the need to put everyone in shorts um, in this particular one. And I know, like Bond's uh, Bond Junior's scuba gear here, that was a variant on the action figure that you could buy. Mm-hmm. I think it might have even sure. come with a submer- <gasps> submersible of some kind. Yep. Uh, yeah. So there, there's that. There's the toyetic reasons as well. But you Toyetic, raise a really good. A... But it's a really good point that we oftentimes I know we talk about like what was the importance of James Bond Jr. There was a whole line of merchandise. There were a yeah. ton of things that were released, and they were on uh, cereal boxes, and you could get lunch pails and toys and books, and there was a whole series. And so it is something to keep in mind when we think about the design that we're seeing on screen because it is about I don't Same know if you said toyetification or I whatever don't... word you use, which is <clears throat> lovely. I think... I think if you go into Trevor Noseworthy's bedroom and he's like jiggling under a blanket duvet, don't ask questions. No, no. Meanwhile, James Bond Jr.'s watch, I assume that's based on Live and Let Die, the magnetized watch. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, We've only seen two episodes with that watch so far, but it does everything. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's a very versatile look. Have you guys talked about the high tops? Right. In the first episode. I mean, I wasn't here for the first two, but everyone's wearing high tops. I mean, not now. They're in scuba gear. What's a high top? Oh, oh tr- trainers, you know, like uh, oh, okay. trainers, but they're like the high, the high ones. Mm. They're, not, they're not like, uh, you know, those very eighties high tops. Hmm. What did you call them over there, Calvin? I I don't know. I don't really know shoes very well. Are they are they like what we'd call Converse? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Ah. <clears throat> what a, what a coincidence that they just happen to be going on a I'll distract you, Tracy, scuba dive right next to where Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, look, Goldeneye, you know, Bond just happens to be in yeah. a place where Zenyer has got to steal the helicopter. Yeah. I think about that, like, we talked here about the amount of trips that they went on, but, like, talk about how resourceful you are. You're in Greece, you're able to charter a boat. I don't know how many people speak Greek, but they figured it out. And then they have all of this specialized scuba gear that's been adapted and adjusted. So I don't know what your luggage was like, but right. it was probably incredibly <laughs> heavy to get there. And so, like, it is a very, I mean, these are definitely privileged children or teens um going on this type of of adventure but like the money aspect i'm always sort of like how did you afford to do any of this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just 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 off the little fishing village is a major oil tanker (laughs) (laughs) oh this uh giant clamp i guess you'd call it the claw (laughs) (laughs) it's been a cheap episode for backgrounds this one Somebody well, at least they got the color right. Well, <laughs> when, when in the writers' room when they were assigning episodes, it's like, okay, we're running a little high on the first four episodes. We need an underwater episode. Who can handle this one? Oh, I can. Bob. Yeah, but then, but they had to then deploy the wibble wobble effect, so that put the budget back up again. <laughs> I mean, I, I I must say I, I I do joke about it, but still, like five episodes in, each episode has had a very different location, and while it may all kind of look the same, I, I've never been to Washington, D.C., but I don't think there's that much green in the city centre. <laughs> no, uh, but still, no, that is something for an animated show, like, to produce all of these backgrounds. You don't see this much location changing normally in episodic uh, animated television, particularly at this time. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> amortized by the fact that they, I guess, did 65 at once, so, so yeah, yeah, we probably will see some of these again. Mm, uh, yeah. By the time you get to the end of the run, or if you look at whatever this production house was doing, you might see duplicated backgrounds. Mm. Oh, oh, yes, in in other shows because yeah. uh, in the '60s, filmation had this effect of someone swimming, and I've seen the same. I've seen the same effect with uh, their Aquaman cartoons, with their uh, oh, Fantastic Voyage cartoons. I mean, it's the same motion when they're you know they're supposed to be scuba diving or swimming under the water. Um, you know the face is different, but the the motions, you know the the way the mm-hmm. legs move, etc., exactly the same. So. This is a bloody big shock. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about like as I w- was watching just these couple of scenes, like? It, it reminds me a bit of obviously the spy who loved me, mm-hmm. the Atlantis plot. And then I started thinking, well, if they're in Greece, maybe then it's uh, for your eyes only. But then when I looked at whatever they came up of, that reminded me of License to Kill and and Sanchez's ship and the way that like Bond sort of came up out of that little latch. And so I feel as though like in, in that very small sequence, I could just see a lot of bond influences just in terms of like the content and briefly in the visuals which may have been lost on previous episodes but i feel like it's really concentrated there yeah mm-hmm. 
Mm. This hotel is another big building on a cliff. <laughs> I don't know what it was about. Mm. What it was about cliffs in Korea. The the travel agent for the school is like you know has has connections and get it's a home get away from home. Can, yeah, can get them to hotels on cliffs near the water. But I, I think to Lisa's point about the you know the spy who left me connections and the like, I think that is quite interesting in this one, considering that the villain seems to do like he's got an underwater city. Like, isn't that what Stromberg wanted? Yeah. It's like he yeah, always yeah. goes one yeah. step beyond the uh, yeah. villain in the film. You know, robot sharks and all that. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I think. Well, and of course, that uh, Kevin McClory unmade script had robot sharks as well. Mm. Why didn't they bring Stromberg back then instead of Walker to Plank? It's more fun to say Walker to Plank. What little kid wants a Stromberg action figure? Come on. <laughs> Walker to Plank's got a hook. Yeah. And a parrot. Mm. And an eye patch. He's just all in on this pirate thing. I wonder if the parrot was modeled on Chrome, and then these, then that parrot would have been in three things. Oh. I have to say, one of my favorite things is coming up. Yeah. When she pulls the fire alarm yeah. and like the big sign that says fire alarm, which was like it's a typical Bond thing, like it's a very doctor no, like this is what's going on, yeah. and then That's... waters the foil, like just a little yeah. bit of water, like yeah, danger level. I do wonder where all the combustible materials are in this underwater base. <laughs> what's really what's really bothering me is why doesn't Jaws wear socks? <laughs> hmm. That's he, the question. In the previous episode, of course, he wore these like droopy socks. Which, um, no fire alarm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, what to make it per- to make it perfect, they should have like self destructs which do not pull. <laughs> <laughs> It's like somebody flushed the toilet and Jaws is disabled. <laughs> and it's like... So how many uh, villains has Jaws worked for so far in the animated series? Two now? Yeah. Yes. I like that they carry that over from the film. That he's still anybody's bitch. He'll... he'll <laughs> <laughs> you got the money. I'll do the pirate voice for you, sure. No problem. He does it later. He goes, ah. <laughs> he's, he's a dedicated uh, freelancer. This is a terrible escape. <laughs> they stopped for a chat and Jaws just walked up right behind them instead of pressing the button to open let's have a conversation right. through the bars <laughs> makes no sense oh, wait, if, I, if, I, if I remember right this is the kid nobody likes right yeah <laughs> Yeah, who's who's spoiled? Funnily enough, the most like Ian Fleming in the right, right. So, some complaints we had in previous episodes was there wasn't like a Can Adam vibe on any of the episodes, but I think this is the one that like ramps it like hold my beer, Can Adam. Oh, the parrot's got an eye patch. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) (laughs) Squawk, squawk. And the parrot has like some agency here, he finishes sentences and hits buttons on his own. You know what it reminds me of? Like in the early 40s, there were these incredibly expensive Superman cartoons. And the very first one, you had a mad scientist. And he had, I I'm, I'm don't know, yeah. it was some kind of bird. I don't know if like it was a, a vulture, parrot. I think. But, but yeah, anyway, but it was weird because you had these, you know, human figures fairly realistically. And you had this really obvious cartoon vulture yeah. bird, whatever it was. And, 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 the, uh, and the vulture would like, 
nod its head like he was like emphasizing what the mad scientist was saying. So this, this, can this I get, go ahead. Can, can I give a shout out to Walker to Plank's uh, pink thigh high boots and gloves? I mean, <laughs> his, his oh, gloves fabulous. remind me of washing up gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Just me. Uh, what? <laughs> pink. Pink pirate. Okay. Oh, his, oh just, and, and his eye patch is green to match his bird. <laughs> I love this guy. I think he's brilliant. I love this whole scene he's got going. It's big. It's silly. It's cartoony. I think this this is the exactly the kind of vibe this cartoon should have been going for every right. episode. Actually, he's, he's got, got an, an underwater glass dome that houses about two dozen oil tankers. Yeah. And he's got Gosh, a mohawk haircut. That's, that's, you know, I mean, how'd you, how'd you build that off a village in Greece and nobody knows? <laughs> well, how did they, how did they build the crater headquarters in Japan and you only have twice and nobody knows? It's kind right. of, uh, maybe they just liquidated all the construction crew when they were done. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I would put in a big glass dome? A cannon. <laughs> what, could, what could possibly go wrong there? <laughs> That's funny. I still haven't seen the danger level sign. I, I keep waiting for that one. Um. So the plot is they're retrofitting the ships with weapons, and then they're going to remote control them to, I guess, take over the world. When uh, well, the, the parrot's going to take over the world. The oh, parrot's yeah. a pig leg. I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and when they uh, get their cut of the money, Jaws is going to buy some socks. That's that's what he's going to do. <laughs> Does anyone else live in this city, or is it just Walker the Plank? Well, clearly, not a vet. Still playing this video game. Oh, that's cute. That's adorable. Hey, I'm playing this video game about remote control ships. Uh, what a coincidence! Mm. Just so happens. I guess this is the point where they're kind of expanding the, you know, you look at, like, this is very much a Gordo episode, and, you know, I mean, this is, you know, you have a gang of characters like this, each one of them is going to have their episode to kind of shine, they might have their mm-hmm. own little arc, and, and I guess this right. is sort of Gordo's first in the series. And he just gave IQ an idea. IQ was inspired by Gordo's antics, so... Mm. I really like this little team that they've got here with um, Junior, Tracy, Gordo, and IQ. That's a dynamic that works really well. Mm. I think mm. they're the four like best characters to lead with out of the four. Mm. Phoebe's an interesting one because I think she's supposed to be sort of like a junior version of Money Penny, in that mm-hmm. she's not sort of. We're never supposed to think of any romantic um, interaction between her and Bond Junior, but she's still kind of flirty with him. But I don't know if they really know quite how to how to do that. She's an odd one in that respect. It's almost a shame that that's her entire character. Mm. She's not mm. given much else to do. Yeah. Somehow the ships are all on the surface. Oh, no, no, they're not. Not yet. <laughs> Sorry. Jumping ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we never got the Gordo Lighter Battleship game, though, did we? No, no. sadly. <laughs> Would you rather play the Gordo Lighter game or the game that none of us really understand in Never Say Never Again? <laughs> Gordos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the uh, Never Say Never Again game is it's just too busy. Like mm-hmm. when the voice comes on, we are now playing for Spain or whatever. It's like 
it's really kind of I it's it's just hard for me to follow. It's like uh oh. Who would have thought that the gra- glass would crack? That's it. I know. Fire the architect. <laughs> but I know that, you know, Calvin talked a, a bit before about, like, this is sort of the the plan from you, the spy who loved me. But, like, they're very easily abandoning this. Like, it, it was created, right. but it was a fallible like you didn't think that something just crashing into it, you didn't account for that in your design, and then they're all just happy to just like leave it, and it's yeah. like, underwater. Yeah. Like exactly. yeah, even the Titanic, they tried to save it at least for a half hour or so. <laughs> it's an abandoned bubble. Like <laughs> oh, crack, let's go. <laughs> However many billions of dollars this cost to bank. <laughs> You know you're wealthy when you're like, yeah. I'll just abandon my underwater city. It's fine. <laughs> no worries. I can just write it off on my taxes. <laughs> you know, it it would have probably been easier if they'd like put the put the money it costs to build this underwater city into I don't know, taking over the world financially. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reminded of Amazon's glass domes in <laughs> Satire. <laughs> We wish. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of the few kind of like uh, showdowns that's a fight, I guess. Ish. Because one, one of the show's MOs were don't put any of the characters in actual peril, which was must have been a challenge for the writers. Hmm. Well, this is literally just the end of Spy Who Loved Me, isn't it? Yeah. What we're about mm-hmm. to see. Except Tracy's not strapped to a chair in a bikini. <laughs> I have a question. So, like, your jaws, and you can chew stuff like that. How bad does that stuff taste? Because he's chewing <laughs> through metal and wood and, like, really gross stuff. Like, I get well, that yeah. it's functional, but, like, the residual taste or, like, the scraps yeah. and the the, the 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 twigs no the whatever you call splinters in your mouth would probably suck like your tongue's not made of metal he's, he, well he's mm. used to chewing out guys' throats uh, so maybe it's better tasting I don't know does he still have a tongue I think he does <laughs> but he actually speaks so I mean it doesn't sound like he's speaking without a tongue I know what would yeah. work really great if they gave him a girlfriend with braces. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it, Calvin. And and since this is a cartoon, we could give the braces like additional abilities. Like you can can be like a radio receiver. Straight your teeth and being able to receive messages. Perfect. We should do the Josh do a a commercial for um orbit gum and be like, go to mouth. Everybody wave to the camera. <laughs> I like how those two on the boat have no idea what's just happened, and yet they're not freaked out by a huge fucking metal shark just <laughs> <laughs> emerging from the sea. I want to know who who cleans up all this stuff after James Bond Jr. is done. Felix. <laughs> <laughs> the, the school probably has somebody on retainer. <laughs> Clean up. 
true. That's how the school's funded, is they just recycle all these bases. (laughs) (laughs) But once again, the chaperone is not involved. Like, he's with one of the students, but, like, four people are underwater fighting with mechanical sharks and stuff. Like, what kind of trips are these? It's it's fine. He's covered it in his risk assessment already. It's fun. Nothing happens to them. They're probably going to get sued, or at least it's going to be some some, uh, legal paperwork at the very least. Why does Walker DePlank sue the school for uh, (laughs) trashing his his base? That's right. Be Walker DePlank versus Warfield Academy. <laughs> I think deep down my odd job figurine is going to need a sibling. And I yeah. think Walker <gasps> DePlank might be one of them. Yes. On eBay. You can get them. Oh, Not too expensive. <sighs> well, that, that zipped right along, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it sure yeah. did. Was that 22 minutes? I, I was going to ask David if he was here because he doesn't want to do James Bond Junior anymore. Um, with scuba <laughs> gear, like how deep can you actually dive? Because those kids go like way down in just yeah. a snorkel, which didn't seem quite right. Well, yeah, because well, I mean, it. it I mean, I don't know exactly. They kind of addressed that in the film for your eyes only, where mm-hmm. they had to have that special mix. It wasn't just mm-hmm. regular oxygen tanks. It was like helium mixed with something and it was only and it was a, a very limited supply of uh breathable air at that uh when you go way deep um yeah i mean obviously david could tell us but uh but uh yeah he did seem awful deep so you want to know the original ending yes yes, yes. so perry martin told us that in his original script um the pirate returns his remote control free, uh, fleet of stolen warships to the ocean's surface and then uses them to launch an attack on the free world. Our heroes override his remote control system and make warships drop depth charges onto the villain's underwater hideout, destroying it. Instead of doing that, I was instructed to have the heroes use the warships to destroy the hideout from inside whilst they were still underwater and then have the ships bob back up to the surface like bath toys. I couldn't quite figure out how gigantic battleships at the bottom of the ocean would bob back up to the surface, but I wrote it anyway. <laughs> It'll work out. It's it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> In this case, you know what? Is it by? It's like you know what? There were so much other improbable things. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like I was just like, oh, it never occurred to me actually. <laughs> yeah. So, how did that rank? Of the five we've seen so far. I mean, he was called Walker de Plank, so, you know, <laughs> that's, that's enough for top spot. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. By having him be an original villain, i.e. not someone based on a character in the films, I guess that gave them more room to maneuver, um, and they could go further out, um, as opposed to the episode with Goldfinger, where you've got to, you got to at least sort of address you know, the movie and the book, but here it's like, hey, you know, with this one, yeah, you can have a bird with a peg leg <laughs> and an eye patch. <laughs> and it's just fine. Well, I suppose that's it, isn't it? It's embracing the fact that it is a it is a cartoon and just like, yeah, why not? It's that it's that attitude that they that when they start to use that in their favor, it really works. It's when they try and ground it a little bit more that they kind of have a bit of trouble, I think. 
Mm. No, I quite agree. I don't know if this was like it. This, I mean, this does feel like okay. The notes are kind of not coming through as thick and fast on this one as they were in the previous four about you know making sure it's down to you know more in line with what James Bond actually is, and they do just go a bit sillier and a bit cartoonier with it, which is exactly what it should be doing if it if it's going to work in concept. It has to be this, but um, I, I like the villain in this one, and I think that the Ken Adam influences are more there as well mm-hmm. in the face and it, it looks like it's got some kind of weird star destroyer like plonked on top of it and that's all good i like that uh, so i think this is definitely a step in the right direction so my question would be is, is that is this a result of an evolving process of learning how to tell the story or finding the tone since you're only five into a 65 episode order that happened all at the same time or is it a scattergun effect and you know the a broken clock is right twice a day uh, <laughs> all of the things you just said kind of don't really lend themselves to the episode we're about to see. So I'm real curious about the the process, and I guess I don't want to find out the hard way how this plays out over 65 episodes. But I guess I'm I'm looking for insight from the folks who are fans and have seen. It. I, I suppose the question from that is: is do we know the order that they were written and produced in? Because I suppose uh, they were released in a different order. I could also. Probably- I could probably pull out the production order, but in terms of the writing order, no. Um, well, I was about to say, given that they were making uh, a number of episodes at the same time, we don't even know if this reflects the experience of the previous four. It, it may not. They, this may have been made at the same time as the other four, and maybe they kind of happened upon a somewhat better formula for this than the others. I mean, I, I, well, I they, they, they just gave the show Bible to a bunch of different writers to come up with some episodes. And, mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, and, and so, so in the case of this particular episode, someone takes the same Bible and kind of, you know, comes up with some things that work a little better than the others. I mean, it, it, it might be just happenstance as opposed to any kind of logical process. I mean, I, I don't know, but. It just felt a little bit more cohesive narrative-wise. Mm. Um, I thought that the villain was absurd in a really good way, and I think that helped us along. And I think the fact that we could see discernible references to other James Bond films beyond, say, a character, beyond Jaws, right? right? Or right. beyond we've seen Odd Job beforehand. Or but the DB5. Fact that, yeah, like these, those are sort of the typical visual elements. But with this one, it was really you know different different elements that came from all of these water-based. Um, films. And I felt as though whoever wrote this was just tapping into a whole bunch of things in a way that I don't think the other ones did. And the fact that we were finished and concluded with this episode, we're like, oh, it's done, just shows how immersed we were, even though we were talking about it. But the fact that things were firing um, pretty well in terms of this episode. But I, I think Phil raises a really good question since they're all being produced at the same time. Like, is this just sort of lightning in the bottle where it just, you just figure out all the elements and it just kind of works with this one? Or maybe the fact that nobody wanted to work on this one is the reason why maybe it worked. Um, but I, I, this one works in the way that the next one doesn't for me. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah, the thing I liked about this the most was the um, the base design, mm-hmm. which I thought was great. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole thing's preposterous about the claw and all that kind of stuff. It's like 500 feet tall and stuff, but um, just just the scale of it, just to go above and beyond Stromberg's plans, just to make it like, you know, turn it to 11. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know how the ships get in and out that dome yet. I haven't figured that out. Uh, hmm. The claw pulls them down. The strong claw. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> a real strong claw. And no air bubbles or anything coming no above No air it. bubbles, yeah. Mm. No air bubbles. Strong claw. All right. Are we just stalling? Are we just trying to like put off the inevitable of, of watching Green Doctor now? Oh, gosh, <laughs> yes. All right. Should we rip the Band-Aid off Green Doctor now? Here we go. Fu Manchu. All right. So episode six, A Chilling Affair. Everybody got it open? Mm-hmm. Yep. Three, yes. two, one, play. This looks very Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm. So, so yeah. when I first saw it, I thought it was um, like Dr. No's sort of abandoned base, but that turned out not to be the case. But when these guys jumped in with these suits, I thought we were, thought they were kind ninjas. of leading to the Dr. No of it all, but nope, ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> not just ninjas, Cockney ninjas as well. That's right. <laughs> when did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the cartoon, come out? Was before it before? Oh. See, because, okay. Let's and talk they hired about the two guys that created that show to do this. Well, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out the greenness. And so, like, on the one hand, it, I think you've already mentioned it, James. Like, Dr. No is presented through a, as a Fu Manchu caricature. And basically, this yeah. was sort of a character that was part of, like, the fictional world, uh, a fictional villain in, in a bunch of novels written in the early 20th century. But what he represents or what he represented was fear in the West of the Yellow Peril that China was basically going to take over uh, the rest of the world. Um, and he's characterized by having, um, the, the, the long strands of the mustache, um, uh, sort of rolling down his face. Um, but this is really a negative stereotype of Asian men as being sort of sinister. That's not just like back in the early 20th century, it has made its way into so many other facets of pop culture. So we've gone from having Dr. No in yellow face <laughs> in 1962 right. to having him be presented in the stereotype. And if that's not bad enough, we have him being green. Mm. And so my question is like the step towards the green and trying to understand what that represents. Is it like yeah. the, the mutant Ninja Turtles element? Is it supposed Can to be like toxic chemicals made him green? Well can I defend the indefensible? And the only excuse I can possibly come up mm. with is because of radiation, he's green. Mm. Because mm. green was often, de- radioactivity was often depicted yeah. as green in cartoons. Sure. So yeah. What I, what I noticed is that the, <laughs> yeah. um, it's, so they, they want to other him, right? But the yellow yeah. by 1990 is probably not acceptable anymore. So mm. what, no. you saw, what you saw happen is that Ming the Merciless in, in cartoons around the same time also started turning green. And Ming the Merciless has ties to that yellow right. pearl stereotype as well. Well, yeah. well um, another cartoon, um, in 68, you had the Superman, Aquaman, Hour of Adventure, and they also included Green Lantern. And so in the comics, Green Lantern had an Asian sidekick, and it was pretty bad in terms of stereotypes. So for the cartoon, they turned him into an alien who was blue. <laughs> and, he's like, and he's got more or less the same kind of lines that the... Uh, character had in the comics but uh yeah they just like let, we're not even going to say he's human we're just gonna say he's an alien who's blue um 
If I can uh, make another hypothetical as well, mm -hmm. I no evidence for this, but I do wonder how much of it might be, just going back to that toyetic thing again, how much of it is that when you look at the original Doctor No sort of mm. character, he's, you know, in a white suit with black gloves and all that kind of stuff, and colours test well uh, uh, for toy-wise, it pops on a shelf, all that kind of stuff. So I mm -hmm. do wonder how much of it is them sort of, maybe it's a tandem thing, like, yeah, obviously yeah. the yellow face thing is going to be problematic yeah. even in the early 90s so they think sure. okay well we're going to do a complete redesign what shall we do all right let's it'll stand out on the shelf if we do right. this because i mean there's no like resemblance at all to joseph well, wiseman well, uh, look at the vulcan no, ears no, as well but there's there is something of a resemblance to the doctor no of the novel not that mm. he was green but like you know because again the famous story about in the first draft, you know, not, you know, Dr. No was the villain's monkey was because Maybaum and Mankiewicz were like so repelled by <laughs> the description of Dr. No, the novel, they came up with a new villain and they had this inside joke that this new villain had a monkey named Dr. No. And then, mm. you know, Brock, Albert Broccoli <laughs> cracked down and said, no, we're not going to do this. Um, but mm. so, I mean, what was it? He had. A, I'm. I'm trying to remember the novel now. He was wearing a kimono, I think, something like that. It's. I mean, yeah, he, he does not resemble Joseph Wiseman, but he he does kind of sort of resemble the novel Doctor No. Mm. Okay, James Bond Junior just like jumps in, kicking people, not knowing what the situation is. <laughs> <laughs> He's impetuous, like his uncle. Oh crap! Yeah. My God. This episode does do some sort of. Uh, interesting things that are above its station regarding uh mortality issues and right. uh, <laughs> things like that frozen uh, you know bringing i think i think we just saw a, a rat get brought back to life yeah. after being frozen yeah. or something and uh yeah it's it's all a bit yeah i, I find it quite uncomfortable actually um <laughs> and here we have the thugs we want that rat Oh. The size of the crown shield on the wall changes from being like the size of a person <laughs> to being the size, you know, size of a dinner plate. <laughs> um, this is all in East London, and uh, I want to point out that it's mentioned in dialogue that Doctor No's base, which is this like glass cantilevered building in the side of a cliff, is in Maidstone. Hmm. I suppose Doctor No got that glass from a clearance sale from the London in Maidstone, Kent. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Dr. Mo's hiding out. Still, it's like the Acme Glass Company is selling glass <laughs> to villains. Um, oh, yeah, this glass would be great for your villain's lair. Trust it, me. It looks like his lair crashed into the side of that. Yeah. I can only think that somebody must have been in the US, must have been like, where are the, where are the cliffs in the UK, Kent? All right, uh, get a map out. Yeah, Dr. Mo's in Maidstone. <laughs> 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 Do you think it's interesting, again, and, and I'm, I'm probably going way too deep with this, but, you know, you have Dr. No, whose origin is at least being half Chinese, and then he's got ninjas, right. which are Japanese, and now they're talking about sushi, and it's like literally just pulling from yeah. It's like the man with the golden gun, isn't it? All yeah. Of Asia. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right, yeah, because uh, what, you have what, Japanese sumo wrestlers mm -hmm. in Hong Kong? <laughs> yeah, with a or Thailand, whichever. Yeah, mm. and it's interesting that it's made by a Korean art studio, even though it's probably written, obviously not by 
right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no narrative input, say by by Asians. Yeah, no, they'll be when for I, higher. For each, when, yeah, I, sure. when I throw two knives at people, I aim for the curtain rod. Um, <laughs> I get it's a kid's cartoon, but come on. So is that patch on James Bond Jr.'s shirt? Does that say the world is not enough? Mm. I think it's that's the Warfield Academy shield, isn't it? Is it okay? I just which yeah. And there is sushi bots. <laughs> We'll, we'll just we'll just get all in the, the hill in the hills near Maidstone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like you met some writer sitting in LA. He says that sounds like a glamorous place in the UK. <laughs> I was just going to say, no one working on this ever has been to Maidstone. <laughs> Even Michael G. remember him. It'd be funny if the base was like hidden in a roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. Maybe oh, look at all these look at all these dirt roads going through mountains. Where are we? Oh yeah, we're in Maidstone. <laughs> well, maybe 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 Michael G. Wilson visited the writers room. I have. I uh, these cliffs. I know this really. I know this really great sushi restaurant near Maidstone. About, about twenty five kilometers. Maybe we're that in script. <laughs> I must say, I really do love his coat. It's yeah. really fabulous. It's lovely, isn't it? With the fur. So this is all leaning into when we eventually do some big meetup event, we should all come in James Bond Jr. costume. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. We should have a coordinated like Halloween costume. Oh, all right, David's gonna react to this. <laughs> David's gonna be this the IQ dresses the unfrozen gangster. <laughs> <laughs> Like he's missing his glam band. Oh, yeah. I, I tell you what, I'll just I'll just come as Michael G. Wilson. Oh, there you go. <laughs> With like a lot of like feverishly scribbled hand notes in your hand. About well, either that show Bible. or just come in come in a nightshirt so I could take a nap. Look at this massive bridge that they've got in Maidstone. <laughs> So okay, well, okay. Look, Doctor No is like really tall because Doctor No in the novel is supposed to be really tall. I'm wondering if they kind of sort of did draw on the novel a bit. Ooh. Not saying it's really close, but just it's definitely know. closer than with Joseph Wiseman. I mean, you cited height. I don't know what else. It literally, doesn't look human. Um, well, well, you know the way Fleming described Doctor No, he was barely human. Yeah, I, his you know. head, mm-hmm. the shape of his head and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, he did have the mustache as well, actually, didn't Ian Fleming? Just a thought. I have no way to know. He's got a little of what Blofeld is described like in You Only Live Twice. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's right. With that mustache and that that hair, that mullet. Is this a riff on A View to a Kill in a second, using the air at the tire? But I don't know about you. But I've never known a tire valve to jet me across a river. He's trying to outrace a missile. I don't right. think you could go that fast in reverse. I think he'd been better off just like trying to gun it straight ahead. But that's not as dramatic, obviously. But I do like the tire reference and utilizing it in a different sort of water esque way, although. I don't know what is more believable, sucking yeah. water out of a tire underwater or what right. we just saw, which is not possible <laughs> at all. Is all, the, all the very best ninjas carry pulse rifles as well. 
Is the mm-hmm. camera shutter transition thing new to this episode? I don't recall it in previous ones. Uh, so I, I thought this is in. It's definitely in the last one, and I remember watching it, and it really winds me up because it makes a horrible noise, and it's like every yeah. other scene. And you get. I'm waiting for girls on film to kick in by Duran Duran. I was curious about that shot that we just had, where uh, Doctor Knows in focus in the foreground, and then the background's mm-hmm. quite blurry. I find I, I just the fact that someone felt that they needed to do that, uh, I, right. I find quite interesting. It, it would have taken an extra bit of effort. Uh, <laughs> it's curious. I don't know what it does exactly, what it's saying, but it's there. He's saying, he's saying the effort was misplaced. They should put it <laughs> to more use. I'm, I am. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I know you already mentioned it, but again, that fur coat with Doctor Knows kind of lets kind of setting me off, setting me back. Like, <laughs> well, he's, he's used to hanging around in Jamaica and he's in England. So I guess he's feeling the need. <laughs> he's doing his yeah. best. How many mink had to die for that coat? <laughs> oh. um, that's, yeah, that's, an, that's another reason why you couldn't get away with it today. I could well, he- handle him being green if you were to take away the Fu Manchu stereotype. What's if going on with his hands? He's green. I think he, it would work better. I agree. Has, with he that. Me- has, he got, has he got metal hands as well? Yeah. He's got it. Yeah. So this is um, liquid nitrogen, which is a strange shade of brown. <laughs> ah, right. So it's interesting. So I looked this up after watching it earlier. Um, so <laughs> nit- so ni- apparently, nitrogen dioxide goes that color when it's heated. Oh. But when it's, when it's liquid nitrogen, it's freezing, it's clear. So yeah. someone just got a little bit mixed up there, I guess. When you evaporate a bunch of it that you're suspended over, did the fumes not kill you? Or And they died. It's funny if we re-edit this to like those cameras fade out to black yeah. and then it's like not return. Well, it's it's like you see these uh, re-edited James Bond films where Bond just gets killed yeah. at the end <laughs> of the clip, and then you see the end titles. They do look like vats of soup behind them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like a school cafeteria. Done it, done but, you know, in The Man with the Golden Gun, if you drop anything into those tanks of liquid nitrogen, the whole base blows up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you drop your watch into it, and it all just disappears. It's a great watch. They're, they're talking. I just can't get over the fact that they're talking about melting bodies in acid. Yes, on a right. kids' show. <laughs> it's like the only thing left is his watch. You know, they, <laughs> they, they did that on the Batman TV show in the '60s, and that was shown at like 7:30 in the evening. You know, it's like it's fantastical enough, I'd say. Like it's it, it tends to be if it's imitable peril and danger, then yeah. that tends to be more of a sticking uh-huh. point. But uh, what, what a difference of opinion. Q come, IQ comes in, oh, they must have been melted by the acid and they're all dead. Dr. No comes in, they escaped. <laughs> I, don't, I, I just... One's a pessimist. I don't, underst- depressed. I don't understand what the, the whole acid thing accomplishes, because then the next scene, they're straight away, they find James Bond anyway. Hmm. I don't have time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Liquid nitrogen is an acid as well. <laughs> but I do like that they're utilizing the ventilation system, which is both in like, you know, the Dr. No film and the Dr. No novel. So I kind of like the fact that it's also like the same type of grate. I mean, yeah. I like that little bondian touch. Yeah. Yeah, be like, hello. Yeah. Maidstone 
heating and cooling. What can we do for you? Yeah, we need you to put vents in our new secret base on the edge of the cliff. Uh, we need you to make a pet, uh, so you can crawl through them. All right. Oh, so not like suspicious how, at all. I also like how Dr. No has Mr. Spock-like ears. That's so... Mm. Went to the same makeup band that uh, Leonard Nimoy went to. <laughs> oh, go stroke your mustache if you're evil. Mm-hmm. With your metal hands. Well, it's a kid's cartoon, so you can't show anyone smoking. But if he, if you could show him smoking, he'd have that underhanded way of holding the cigarette like Telly Savalas. They yeah. basically made him a cat, haven't they? If you look at his claws and stuff. Mm. His trilby really survived the freezing process. <laughs> and his flower on his lapel. But like you're, I, I get this idea of somebody pretending to be the person, but you're literally putting like your friend in peril to be doing this. Like I, it's one thing for Bond to do stuff undercover. And he tries to be heroic, but it's it's just like the same thing when Q is ever put on location somewhere. And it's like, why are you putting the genius on location where he could potentially die? Like this, and I in a lot of danger, like throughout this whole yeah. thing and the chase in the end. Like I'm like, he c- should have died multiple times. What what era is this guy supposed to be from? Because he <laughs> looks like a Dick, a Dick Tracy villain. Twenties, thirties, and then. For one, like they cryogenically froze somebody in the twenties or thirties, but then also platinum bars. Like, is that was that the the trading currency of gangsters <laughs> back in the era? It's like, you know, he dresses kind of like Rodney in the Man with the Golden Gun. Now, Rodney's suit was black, and this is gray, but it's kind of like his wardrobe is somewhat inspired by by art. Well, that's not how parachutes work. Where did the parachute <laughs> come from? Right. Hmm. <laughs> Wait, where did the helicopter come from? That was just the, the ninjas with their lasers were using that earlier. <laughs> come, come on, come on, Lisa. Said, 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 said nobody ever. <laughs> I want to know where I don't want to know where IQ got his bold cap from. <laughs> I want to know why Dr. No didn't spring for some seats in the back of his van. <laughs> I mean, there all, the, big... all the money went on their AC ducting in the, in the base. Like a freaking concussion just from the way that they're going to be pushed around. Like more than your cap coming off, you're going to lose brain power. Hmm. Details, details. <laughs> so what happens to the frozen guy again? Uh, I can't well, remember. Sure, you might know. Dead. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah, so they actually do, because I remember, yeah, vague memories of this, uh, this very cavalier attitude towards uh, <laughs> yeah, cryogenic freezing. Um, I guess the guy was bad, probably. <laughs> He looks like a gangster, doesn't he? So he does, <laughs> with, with a with the face of a cherubic uh, high school age boy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> he's got nothing to hold on to, but he's still on that roof. Mm-hmm. Who's flying the helicopter? Is it Phoebe? Yeah. I love that. Yes. 
Yes, women pilots in the Bond franchise. And so See, this is London then, or? Oh, wait, wait. These are the high rises in Maidstone. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting, though. <laughs> but we never see the conclusion, do we? Uh, it's very Mission Impossible. It's like, oh, we're back. Yeah, it worked out, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that very exciting thing that we couldn't afford to animate. Uh, that was really good, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So did you push the like, button? Did Henry Cavill fall off the cliff? Uh, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> Are there like three or four lines of dialogue to tell us? There's there's so many scenes in this, like this one, that are just completely pointless. <laughs> oh. Size that van in the back. Oh, I guess we do get to see what happens. <laughs> Gold mine. Mm. That was quite the jump. <laughs> Wow. I love characters shaking their fists and <laughs> Whoa. About six times too. <laughs> I'll get really mad. That's a really strong helicopter. Mm-hmm. Mary, you only live twice of them to pick it up and drop it off. Oh, I thought he was gonna take him to jail. Nope, right in the swamp. <laughs> the, 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 the swamps have made stuff. I like how the cops are all waiting by this one. <laughs> oh, the bodies are proper bodies too. With this hat. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. It's got a Victorian trenches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Till we meet again, music. <laughs> See what happens now is that IQ secretly takes on the identity of that. <laughs> that makes his own death and steals the identity of the gangster. <laughs> oh, I just noticed Warfield's got a helicopter pad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Right Fancy. outside the bathroom. <laughs> you know, if they can afford to send their students all around the world, there's no reason they can't afford a helipad. He doesn't land on the helipad. No, <laughs> <laughs> he lands on the grass. And the teacher has no idea. He can't hear it. Can't see it. I do love this little line, though. Oh, oh boy. That's great. <laughs> He's like, oh, chop, 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 chop. Goodness. <laughs> Good time. Brilliant. I have a new um, art assignment for Sean. Oh no! <laughs> so this is set. This is 1990, right? So they're, they're like 15 years old here, 16 maybe. Yeah. So James Bond Jr. 2021. He's <laughs> he's 46 years old. He's, he's been rough. It's been a rough few years. He's he's ended up like um, <laughs> Thor from Avengers Endgame. Yeah, that's right. Things haven't worked out the yeah. way he thought. You know, he's he's kind of like autograph it. shows like Bela Lugosi Jr. He's a little heavy now. <laughs> That's true, but Jr., he's like a brilliant IP lawyer who saved his dad's empire and whatnot, but he just sits there at tables at autograph shows signing his dad's shit. So, like, James Bond Jr. is, like, just coasting on his uh, uncle's name at this point, you know, telling stories in bars. <laughs> and I want you to cast, I want you to age up and cast the whole cast, Gordo, all of them, IQ. Like, who would you cast in those roles? And then give me, like, a great Shang Lung more uh, image. Okay. 
Right. It'd be amazing. You can use that font that you love. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dinkling carrot. Seven, seventeen. Sweeten the pot a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think you could do it. It'd have to be sort of like an adult. Uh, what do they mm-hmm. call that? Uh, Listen. You just have you can have a forty six year old Gordo just walking around looking at his phone all the time, swiping on Tinder. Cobra Kai is on its third season right now. Like this is a thing that could happen. You could bring back James Bond Jr. in an ironic, like grown up way. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, uh, oh, what's Hulk that? Hulk Hogan playing Gordo Light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like uh, Schitt's Creek is essentially an updated, you know, Green Acres, just not mm-hmm. quite as obvious on the humor. So, like, yeah, sure. yeah, it's like, and like you know, James Bond Junior. You know, like you'd have a scene of he's in a bar. Junior, why do they call me Junior anyway? I'm not his son. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole paternity storyline that the cartoon could never get into. Mm-hmm. I think it could work. I don't want to, I'm not trying to rush you past the next 59 episodes of this, but <laughs> <laughs> trying to put a light at the end of the tunnel is all. You know, Phil, I, Phil, I'm thinking we need to set up a pitch meeting with Michael G. Wilson. <laughs> Get him on the horn. <laughs> He's like, I've been waiting for this call. James Bond Jr. <laughs> James Bond Jr. The reunion. Yeah. Oh, it'll be on Bravo with that guy hosting. What's his name? Exactly. <laughs> Watch what happens next. That's right. <laughs> And then you can also claim, and nobody's had James Bond Jr. age like I have, which is technically true, you know, kind of echoing the, you know, Sam Mendes' dubious claim about uh, no one's ever had Bond age until I came along. Well, Sam, yes, they have. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) There was a video game of this show? Yeah, two of them. One for the NES and one for the SNES. And there were different games. Wow. Wow. THQ published it. I know too much about it. (laughs) (laughs) You see, you you say we're the James Bond Jr. superfans, James, but... Mm -hmm. I know! Who's the one with all of the uh, the facts and the interesting Uh, trivia tidbits? Is is Uh, your bedroom secretly all James Bond Jr. merch? (laughs) Yeah. Imagine it was though. Get <laughs> uh, the bedspread, the pillow. Oh Got a big odd job body pillow. I'm thinking we could have a streaming series of at least six episodes of James Bond Jr. The Reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> More redemption arc. It'll be James Bond Jr. goes to visit all of his past foes in the Warfield nursing home. <laughs> they, must be in the, they must be in the 80s now. Yeah. Doctor mm-hmm. was like a dark green. Including the guy with the parrot. The parrot outlives them all, though. <laughs> oh, they do live a long time. Sorry. That's really boring having you a conversation. Sorry. <laughs> Captain Walker to Plank, comma, retired. It keeps, yeah, so yeah, so James Bond Jr. Once he gets on the on the case, he goes through this whole series of things. It finds, and it turns out his final foe is the parrot. 
That's right. The, the parrot's been manipulating all the villains all these decades. <laughs> Don't give EA any ideas. <laughs> and then like you have the, you have the making of the you have the making of the streaming series uh thing you have an interview with Michael G Wilson. Well, see, I uh, I got the uh, I got the inspiration from this one how Richard Maybaum turned Dr. No into a monkey and it was a different villain. And I thought, well, we'll turn it around and instead of a monkey would be a parrot, but the parrot's really the villain. <laughs> this gives you a glimpse into like what if there was no Barbara Broccoli? What if it was Michael G. Wilson off the leash? Just, <laughs> like, what would the actual fucking movies look like at this point? Michael G. Wilson Unchained. Yes. <laughs> That's a really good question, though. Like, I, I know we're, it, it's kind of, we're laughing at it, but like, what would the franchise look like if, if we didn't have Barbara Broccoli? And she has a very strong vision and very, you know, definite opinions. Where would we have gone? And, and, and what would things look like? Well, at, yeah. at, the time they were, at the time they were making this, they were planning Dalton's third film, which right. had him as a, as a cowboy. <laughs> was the third one, and then the fourth one mm. was the one that was going to have robots. Yeah. Mm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we would have progressed from there, and if we got if we were at robots by the mid nineties, who knows where we would have been now? Robots and android. The one woman who's a sex toy of the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is revealed to be a. <laughs> So yeah. we, we have some more original villains to come. We've got, uh, we're still to see Dr. Derange, who's French. <laughs> um, so he's clearly a villain. Um, misfortune. Goldiefinger. Baron von Skarin, who's basically a Nazi. Um, who else have we got? Baron von Aaron. <laughs> the, the mask. Uh, Felony O'Toole. Whoa. Whether she's a relation or not, we'll find out. Mm. And um, of this one, Tiara, Tiara Hotstones. <laughs> Who's a thief, master thief. But will they be cool enough for me to get another figurine for my <laughs> action figure for my collection that'll be the big thing because we did i did purchase a walker d plank action figure <laughs> it's on its way Actually, <laughs> just now no, it was about 30 minutes ago <laughs> so we'll see We'll see how good these villains are if they join the collection. I have a collection now. Wow. <laughs> 2021. Let's do this. Oh, my God. Gordo comes with a skateboard. Stop it. But I haven't seen his skateboard yet. Have we? Um, I don't think so. I think it's just assumed. <laughs> it's just assumed. <laughs> I would assume he had a surfboard, but... Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a skateboard and it fires a missile out the front. Oh. What? Hmm. I can't wait for that episode. 
I, I, we've, we've just descended into chaos here. Yeah. <laughs> I have nothing else to say about James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're sorry, we've only got another how many? 60 episodes to go? 59. 59. <laughs> we're, in, we're, in the, we're in the back straight now. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we'll go on like a whole arc and at one point we'll be like proclaiming that James Bond Jr. is the greatest children's TV show ever made. And then by the time we get to the end, we're like, oh, no, we're over that now. Well, here's the thing. If we ever did that, you know, James Bond Jr., The Reckoning, you know, streaming series, I guarantee you there would be a section of fandom, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Yes. And it's like, oh, well, like, who cares about No Time to Die? I'm into this. Like, well, you, know, you know what would make it really stand out and be accepted? The fact that there's nothing fucking else going on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, <clears throat> fitting for James Bond Jr., isn't it? <laughs> I mean, to, to, launch, to launch a James Bond Jr. series in a six-year hiatus of releases of films. At, the, at this point, we don't know what um, the James Bond video game is going to be. So it could be that it's going to be a James Bond Jr. video game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imagine it was. Oh, my God. <laughs> the ultimate bait and switch. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were getting a Bond game? No, it's a Bond Jr. game. <laughs> I, given Barbara Broccoli's involvement, I suspect not. <laughs> just a hunch. Sadly, I just realized that all the, all the uh, candidates that you would cast as James Bond Jr. are also in the running for actually playing Bond. It's sort of the same age range at this point. Ooh, yeah. But I think like a, just a washed up, drunk, bitter James Bond Jr. is Luke Evans. Uh, isn't a washed up, bitter James Bond Jr. just James Bond? <laughs> no, because he's got this chip on his shoulder about his larger than life uncle that's probably also his dad. It's uh. a different set of issues. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you can go Hiddleston, you can go Tom Hardy, you can go Luke Evans, but they're all in that age range. Henry Cavill's still too young. Well, and a, and a major <laughs> plot point in the James Bond Jr. The Reckoning streaming show would be the <laughs> revelation. It's like, nephew, no, you're my son. What? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Oh, that's, a, that's the season finale cliffhanger, and then it gets canceled, and we never find out. Yeah, there's a, there's a cliffhanger. Like a, The season finale has a cameo at the very end. It's Timothy Dalton coming back as old Bond. <sighs> uh. Or is it Brosnan? And then it's like a Mamma Mia thing. I think it'd be Brosnan. We need to schedule a pitch yeah. meeting. We got to do it now. I mean, you can get either one, but, but either one would show up. Dalton or Brosnan, whichever works for you. I think, Bros- I think Brosnan would show up. Dalton, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Actually, we need to wait. Actually, we need to wait until MGM gets sold. And then have the pitch meeting with the new owners. Who knows? They might be fans of James Bond Jr. the cartoon. They may have grown well, up with it. Well, whoever they are, they probably think we're not. You know, we need to like use James Bond more. Have we got the idea for you? Yeah, let us in. <laughs> Sean, show them the poster. Yeah, I'll wow them with the serpentine. Nineties <laughs> and two thousands is coming back, so you know. Let's do it. All right, I think that wraps it up, doesn't it, folks? <laughs> <laughs> and then some. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us all, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. See you, Bye, everyone. Bye. Take care. <laughs>